Hello and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Our guest today is Dr. Sabrina Jackson. Sabrina is the Master of Social Work Program Director and an Assistant Professor at the University of Alabama School of Social Work. She is also the Founder and Director of NSEP, the National Social Work Enrichment Program. Hello, Sabrina. Thank you so much for joining our podcast series. How are you today? I'm wonderful, Lynn. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. I'm very excited to hear about your program. But first, I'd like to find out a little bit more about you. Could you share with us how it is that you got connected with the foster care system and being interested in foster youth? Sure, I'd be happy to. I'm currently the MSW program director and an assistant professor at the University of Alabama um, School of Social Work. But I've been doing this work for, I guess, over 15 years now. My initial um, work with the foster care population started when I developed a program that was specifically designed for youth. And um, I've been doing that work ever since. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. And so my practice and research now focuses on youth that are transitioning from foster care. Oh, okay. So when you say you developed a program for youth, what was that program and why did you develop it? Well, I've been doing this work for a number of years, but I, I really started initially with youth transition from foster care in 2009 when I wanted to bring my interest in working with youth, having a summer program experience in terms of introducing youth to college. I kind of brought those interests together and formed this nonprofit organization called the National Social Work Enrichment Program, or we like to call it NSEP. And so we've been doing this work, like I said before, since 2009, started in Georgia and then moved to the state of Alabama in 2010 again, offering this pre-college six-week summer program experience for youth that are transitioning from foster care, hopefully into college. Okay. How many youth do you serve, do you work with every year? We average about 25 to 30 youth each summer. So we've worked with over 300 youth um, at this point. Again, primarily the program has been in the state of Alabama. I mentioned before, we've been in Alabama since 2010. And so currently that's where we offer our program um, in that state. Okay. And are these young people who are getting ready to age out or have already aged out? They're going into college, so I would imagine there might be a mix. It is a mix. And we target youth that are rising high school juniors and seniors because they come to us in the summer. You know, the next term of school, they're going into their junior year or their senior year of high school and or they could be getting ready to start their freshman year in college. And so they have to be at least 16 years old to participate in our program. And so again, there are juniors, seniors, or recent high school graduates um, that are part of our program. Okay. And what is the primary mission or goal of your program for these young people? Our primary goal really is about exposing them to college. Um, We have four components of our program that we, we tend to focus on, but at the end of the day, we really want youth to have this college experience in hopes that they'll graduate high school and they're going to enroll in college. But we focus on those four areas. College readiness skill development is is one area. We focus on leadership skill development, relationship skill development, and employment skill development are the four components of the program. And all of our programming during that six weeks is focused on those four areas. How long is the experience again? The experience is actually six weeks. 
youth come to campus and, and they're on campus with us for a full six weeks. So really the majority of their summer is spent with us in the program. Okay. And this is the university where you actually serve as the MSW, the Master of Social Work Program Director, correct? It is. And, and what's so interesting about that is that I started the program long before I accepted a position on campus at the University of Alabama. Prior to that, I was living in Georgia and would kind of commute back and forth to the state of Alabama. And so the program now has a home at the University of Alabama because I'm there. But we've also had sites at other institutions in the state of Alabama. We partnered with Alabama State University, which is an HBCU. And we've also partnered with Alabama A&M, which is also an HBCU. And, and we've had summers, depending on funding, we've had summers where we've had youth on all of those campuses during the, that same six weeks. Well, then the natural next question is, how are you funded to run these? Well, we are grateful that we've had funding from Alabama's, the state office, the Department of Human Resources. Their independent living program uses Chafee dollars to fund um, our program. So we've been really grateful that we've had this continued support from the state of Alabama. I see. So you just have to take a look at the budget for the year and determine how many you can run on an annual basis? We do. And I I work with the state coordinator based upon their budget and and what their goals are for the year. We discuss how many youth can be served. Right. Okay. I see. Now, I usually wait till the end to ask this question, but it seems like a, a better place to ask here. What if people wanted to donate to your program? Is that even possible? It is. Um, they can reach out. We have a website, inceptscholars.org, and they can uh, reach out to me on that website, or they can reach out to me um, at my UA email, Jackson 5 at ua.edu. And I'd love to talk to them about donating to the program. I mentioned before, we're a nonprofit organization. We're always looking for opportunities to do additional work with the youth beyond the summer. And so that's the place where we could use um, assistance. I'm, I'm in the process now of, of looking for grants to fund continuous work with the youth. So we will welcome additional support. Good to know. Thanks. I wanted to get that out there. I have to ask, is Jackson 5 a tip of the hat to Michael Jackson and his family? <laughs> I, I, you know what? I say I have the best email ever. I actually had no input in choosing my email. So someone <laughs> in, in IT must have wanted to tip the hat to the Jackson 5 family, but it works for me. People always remember my email. So I, I think it's a cool email. So so for me, yes, it is definitely a tip to the Jackson 5. Um, <laughs> That's great. Maybe the IT person as well. I had to stop and ask that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. So I, I, I'm picturing this program. Now you have a summer program for young people aging out of foster care to help them be exposed to the college experience. Do they have to already have been accepted to the university? Or is it really like you're saying an exposure so that they can understand what college is about and then maybe they can be accepted later? To your latter point, it really isn't about the University of Alabama, and it's not a recruitment tool for the University of Alabama. It really is about exposing young people to college. And we really want to make sure that youth are exposed to college campuses around the state of Alabama. And we focus on the state of Alabama because uh, we have a Fostering Hope scholarship that pays tuition and fees for the youth to go to public universities. So we expose the youth to college campuses around the state. Um, some youth do end up enrolling at the University of Alabama, but it really is about how can they be successful at any college campus in the state of Alabama. 
Why is it important to have this kind of program to expose them to college? Can't we just accept them and let them get started on their own? That's a great question. I, I wish it was that easy. I, it's not that easy for any college student, but certainly not for youth who have lived experience in foster care. I'm sure your listeners know the literature. They've been exposed to the literature about foster youth, and we know that they experience so many challenges while they're in the system. But as they prepare to transition, those that are interested in going to college, they certainly experience a number of challenges. The the literature really talks about now that roughly 80% of youth want to enroll in college, but only 20% actually have the opportunity to enroll in college. And those that are successful at enrolling, only about 1% to 3% graduate from college. And so this opportunity to be involved in a pre-college program like INSEP really helps to set the stage in preparing youth for what to expect once they get to college. And you know, my goal, my personal goal is really to help to address those statistics. 80% want to go, but only 20% actually enroll. I think we can do much better than that. And it's my hope that a program like INSEP helps to address those numbers. Yeah. I remember coming across a research study from a few years ago, but I believe I recall reading that the, the one to 3% that you mentioned, it really depends too on gender, that the young women are more likely to graduate, even though the number is low, it's more likely to be young women than young men. Have you come across that? You know, I, I haven't seen as, as much about the the gender um, numbers, but I'm not surprised by it at all because there are so few males that actually enroll. Even as I look at INSEP, each summer we always have more females in the program than males every summer. So I'm not surprised that number would be true. Okay, let's go back to the program that you run. I'd like to get into each of the four areas that you focus on a little bit and learn a little more about each of those. So first of all, preparation for college. What is it that you're really trying to get across to the young people during that phase? Thank you for that question. The, the college readiness component, we're wanting to immerse them in this six weeks, immerse them in this college environment. We want them to get a sense of what it feels like to be in college. And so of course, they're on the campus. They live in the residence halls during this entire time. So they get an opportunity to experience what it feels like to be in a situation with roommates. In most cases, they're complete strangers that they're connected to in this suite, and they're having to figure out how to live together for six weeks, which is much like what they experience once they go to college. They're eating in the, in the cafeteria, in the dining halls. They're having classes in the academic buildings. And so that's a part of this process. And then they have a number of classes that they take with us, really focused on areas that help them to get focused and ready for college, from how to take tests to note-taking skills to just the admissions process, financial aid, how to finance college, to presentations from student affairs on getting engaged in student activities and programming. We have folk from the disability office to talk about getting connected to services, just a number of, of different topics but one of the highlights of the college readiness component is youth having an opportunity to do college tours. So every Thursday, youth are off campus the entire day, and the focus is, is visiting college campuses around the state of Alabama. They visit four-year colleges and universities, two-year colleges, and even technical colleges, where they get an opportunity to talk to admissions folk about their majors and just kind of what to expect on these different college campuses around the state. That's great, because they don't have parents to take them around to show them. Exactly. And, you know, although workers, social workers would love to be able to do that, 
I mean, we all know that oftentimes they're overloaded um, with the number of cases that they have to serve. And so they just don't have the time to really devote to taking individual youth to these college campuses. And, and from the evaluations that we receive from youth, this really is a highlight for many of them because they've heard about campuses, but they've never had the opportunity to actually go and see the campus. And so it just makes a difference for them. Right, right, exactly. Now, what about leadership? That's the second area of focus that you have. How is it that you're helping young people with leadership skills? With the leadership component, we partner with Toastmasters International. There's a local Tuscaloosa chapter and or a chapter in another city where we've had a, a program. And those leaders from Toastmasters, they actually have a youth development, youth leadership program that Toastmasters International offers. And so those volunteers come to campus and they work with youth on their public speaking skills. They work with them on their leadership skills. They, um, in a sense, meet with the youth um, once a week, a few hours. Youth learn, again, what it means to, to lead through actually having, they kind of create their own mock Toastmasters chapter. And so they have to have officers and again, it, it really is an area of the program that youth are nervous about at first because it's public speaking, but one where we've seen so much growth from the time that they start the program until the end and working on just their, their own leadership skills, specifically around public speaking and, and that component. And youth also have the opportunity in the program to actually lead their individual group. We kind of divide the, the youth into three teams. And so each team has a leader and we rotate the leadership every week. So that youth have an opportunity to do that because the literature talks about not only just leading personally and, and learning to lead themselves, but what it means in terms of their self-confidence to be able to lead others in various activities. And so we felt that that was an important part of the program. Yeah, absolutely. You beat me to the punch. I was going to ask you, well, what are the benefits of adding a leadership component to the program? Besides what the research says should be happening, what are you seeing happening with your young people? I think the biggest thing that I'm seeing is just an increase in confidence. And I know that that is so critical for this population because of what they've been through, because of the trauma and all kinds of challenges that they've experienced. A lot of them, self-esteem is lower or their self-confidence is lower. And what we're seeing with this leadership component, with the work with Toastmasters International, the local chapter, and these other opportunities to lead and engage with their peers in leadership really helps to increase their confidence. And we know that that's important. They have to believe that they can do it. Even if we have funding available for them, which we're thankful that we have in the state of Alabama and so many other states around the country, even though we have those opportunities, youth have to believe that they can do it. And so this leadership component helps to, to forge that confidence and really bring out you know, that confidence so that they have hope that they can go to college and they can be successful when they do go. Yeah, that's one of the things that I have a particular interest in is this concept of resiliency and optimism and hope and how that really influences how young people do and how they fare transitioning into adulthood. Right. It, I, I don't think we can underestimate that, right? The, just the importance of them believing that they can do this. And I mentioned before, they have so much that they've had to overcome and kind of fight through and push through in their lives. And so having an opportunity, having an experience or a program that really helps to, especially right before college or, or going into those critical years in high school, a program or experience that really helps to increase their hope really helps, we've seen, makes a difference for them as they go back to high school. They're more focused. Social workers tell us they're more focused. They're you know serious about their academics. 
you know, they're doing the things that they need to do to, to apply for college. Many of them are taking the initiative to do their own applications and, and even go through these processes because they have an increased sense of confidence and, and hope in their future. Yeah, it makes a big difference, such a big difference. Yeah, I think so. Well, now let's talk about the relationships component. What is it that you're trying to create there in the environment of the, the summer program? I'm going to take a guess that it's either mentoring or it's building peer relationships or both. Good guess. Good guess. Well, it's a little bit of both. I think we partner with a local health department. They have this evidence-based curriculum that they use called Making Proud Choices. And Making Proud Choices really focuses on helping youth deal with relationships with their peers. It helps them to think about how, even in their romantic relationships, how they navigate those relationships. Because one of the things that you know the literature talks about is the challenge with youth transitioning, becoming pregnant, and just kind of what that means when young people who are transitioning from foster care become pregnant, or in the case of young men, become fathers just a challenge that that brings to them. And so this curriculum really helps them to address that and think about choices and how they have those conversations. We also talk to the young people about how they navigate the relationships with their birth families, because we know once they get into college, many of them really struggle with how they navigate those relationships in a healthy way, because they're going to go back to those birth families and, and reconnect if they haven't done so already. But how do they do that in a way that's good for them and that doesn't derail their goals especially when it comes to how they handle their finances. We've had so many examples where because they have these scholarships, they get these refunds at the beginning of the semester. And instead of navigating how they manage that so that they can take care of themselves, they're giving back to their families and they're paying you know, utility bills and car payments and those things. And they're essentially being taken advantage of. And so in this relationship component, we not only talk about with their peers and um, romantic relationships, but also how do you navigate those relationships with your birth family? Because that can impact how well they do when they get to college. We partner with our local health department, the Tuscaloosa County Health Department. Again, they have trainers that come who've been trained in, in the use of this curriculum, and they meet with the youth every Friday for about a half day to deliver that curriculum to the youth. Right. I think it's one of those things that our education system overlooks the importance of relationship skills, those interpersonal skills. And I'm glad to hear that that's specifically included in your program. I think it's so important. And one of the things that we're starting to find is that, you know, sometimes I've kind of wrestled with the idea of the program being six weeks. But one of the things that always brings me back to kind of solidifying it's important that it's that length of time is that you talk about the relationships they built with their peers over that that period of time. And we found that they often become lifelong friends after completing the program. And we've actually had one couple to get married and now they have a child and, you know, they're in the military and doing well. And so, you know, that was our incept marriage. But again, they form friendships and they become family in that six weeks. And, and we know that that's so important for this population to make those kinds of positive connections and build those kinds of relationships. Right. And if they end up going to the same university, then they can continue that friendship moving forward, like for another four years, which is great. Exactly. And, and what we found is that they use social media. So those that are not at the same university, they're, they're staying connected via social media and they check in on one another and they're there, you know, for those times where they're struggling or the times that they're celebrating. You know, we see them celebrating one another and their own group me and, and other kinds of tools that they stay connected well beyond the program. That's fantastic. I'm glad to hear that. So often from what I've heard, 
young people from foster care when they go to college can feel so isolated because there's nobody there who's had the same experience. So if they have a chance to build those friendships before they go into college, they have that kind of built-in support group, if you will, as they try to manage their way through the education experience. Exactly. They have someone who's going through the experience with them, someone that they trust, and they can support one another. And And we're hopeful that campus-based programs are, are starting to address some of the, those challenges that youth experience, but there are so few. We have one campus-based program um, now at UA, but again, they're, they're not enough around our state and not enough campus-based programs around the country that can provide that additional support to um, youth that are, um, have foster, foster care experience. Right. Again, you beat me to the punch because I was going to ask if there was any kind of program at the universities themselves that are specifically designed to support young people aging out of foster care. I know there are, there are sometimes programs that will support you know people who are going to the college for the first time in their families, but there are states like California in their university system, Virginia in their community college system, that they really have done well and are leaders in this idea of having a program focused on supporting these young people from foster care. Yes, there are a number of programs now around the country that are kind of popping up to specifically serve foster youth. You already mentioned a few states. The state of Michigan is doing a lot of great work. Texas is doing a lot of great work. Georgia is starting to do work. And and of course, Alabama is starting to do that work. And what we're finding is there's a need for funding. If college campuses aren't willing to have positions specifically for you know, an office that serves youth in foster care, you know, who's going to fund that? And so we're, we're hoping that some federal legislation will provide future funding that requires states to have um, these kinds of, of coaches or social workers or, you know, what have you in terms of the name, but have a person that's designated for youth on every college campus around the country. Again, some states are doing better than others. And I, I certainly love to see the state of Alabama do more than what we're currently doing. And that's part of what, that's one of my goals is to do that because we, I think we're doing a great job of getting youth ready with our pre-college program experience. But once we send them to the campus, they need support when they get there. And so we're needing to make some some connections with key staff or key faculty at institutions around the state so that youth are not there by themselves. Exactly. I'm going to pause and, and just put a plug out there for anybody who's interested. AOI did an assessment a couple of years ago on those types of programs in universities around the country that are serving foster youth specifically. And we looked at the different types of services that were offered and you know what services were being offered by most and all the way down to the services that are, I think, were offered just by one program. So there's a whole assessment of that and a report on the AOI website, agingoutinstitute.org. If you go to the resources section, you'll find a downloads page and you'll see our higher education foster youth program report as well as a website template. Because one of the things we did also is to look at the websites for all these programs and we suggest a template for those programs just based on what we saw as being very effective and user friendly. So just throwing that out there. Sorry to interrupt the interview, but it seemed like it was timely. <laughs> oh no, that's yes, that is wonderful that that you've done that, and and there's and there's such a need. Even I can start to refer our youth as we start to look at where our youth are going to college. I mean, it would be great for them to see um, that kind of resource available. So thank you for doing that. Yes, and our website also has listed the different universities around the country that have programs like that. It's not an exhaustive list. We've just started pulling it together, but it's a start. So that's something else that people can look for. Yeah, that's a wonderful idea. Thank you so much. You're welcome. 
I don't want to forget the last component of your program, which is employment, which of course is so important. So what do you do in your program to help young people get ready for being employed? Well, we have a partnership with social service organizations in the city, wherever the program is being held. We partner with those agencies and youth are employed for three days of the week, Monday through Wednesday. They work from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. at a social service agency and they have an opportunity to really get exposed to the employment environment. And they're doing a number of different things at the agency, depending on the agency, from doing home visits with social workers to clerical type work where they're answering the phone, they're you know at the front desk serving clients, or in some cases, when we partner with Boys and Girls Club or the YMCA, they're working directly with the staff with the kids in the program, but they have an opportunity three days a week to really get that experience. And they also get summer pay, which is wonderful. So the youth to participate in our program, they don't have to give up earning money for the summer because they're paid each Thursday for their work in the agency, but also their work in the classroom as well. And so That's one of the primary things that we do in the employment component. But we also work with the youth on resume development. We also work with them on soft skills that are important to employers. We do some mock interviews, those kinds of things. Again, getting prepared for employment. Right. That's fantastic. One of the things that I've thought of when you were explaining your program, which I love the idea that they're out there working in the social services organizations specifically, Just from conversations I've had over the years, it seems like a lot of foster youth make the decision to go into helping professions like social work. They want to give back. They want to help young people who have gone through what they've gone through. Do you see that in not only your program, but also in your work with the MSW program that you're in? I do. I, I see that quite a bit, especially in our program. And, you know, and, and depending on who you talk to, people feel differently about the fact that youth are, are naturally drawn to the profession. But I embrace it. I embrace their heart to want to give back, their heart to want to serve other youth um, like themselves. And so, you know, in the National Social Work Enrichment Program, INSEP, we do talk to them about what does it mean to be on the other side as a social worker. And so we talk to them about what does it mean to obtain a degree in social work? And, and we also talk about other areas in the social work profession that they could work. They don't automatically have to do child welfare. We expose them to other areas because social work is so broad. We talk to them about that, but we do find that a number of our youth who participate in our program actually do become social work majors themselves. Even in our MSW program, we've seen um, a few students that have had experiences in foster care, or they were first-generation college students, or they've had similar experiences. Maybe they weren't, it didn't rise to the attention of child welfare, but they've had life experiences that kind of draws them to the profession. I think that happens, you know, across the board. Yeah, I think so too. It seems natural. And that's why I came up with Aging Out Institute to do something to give back. I aged out of foster care a long time ago (laughs) and uh, I wanted to do something. What I'm working on with this fits my skill set. And so whatever the young person's skill set is, their preferences, their likes and dislikes, I would imagine there would be a way to either work in that field as a career or maybe some kind of side gig to assist or volunteer. I agree. And I I think that's wonderful. And like you said, most end up wanting to, regardless of the major that they choose, they want to do something to give back because usually when they've had the opportunity to kind of make it out in a sense, you know, they want to help other young people and help other families. And so whether they're majoring in engineering or, or social work, you know, they find a way to give back to their community. 
Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, I want to ask you a couple questions about, you know, what the system can do to improve how we work with young people in foster care. But I want to ask you real quickly, you say you've served maybe over 300 young people now. Are you seeing the results of the work that you are doing with these young people over the summers? What's been the impact with the young people that you've put through the program? Great question. Um, We are starting to see the results. We're doing some research now to capture those results and capture those outcomes in a more um, defined way. We're just finishing up a qualitative study where we did some interviews with youth who were part of the program who um, had enrolled in college. And and we're seeing young people graduating college. And we've even had a, a few that have gotten their master's degree in social work. And so we're seeing a lot of promise with the program. Our, our next step is really to do a comprehensive evaluation. So we'll have you know more definitive outcomes, but just anecdotally, we're certainly seeing a lot of positive results from youth who've experienced the program. And either you know, you go into college and for some, if college didn't work out, we've had a number of them to transition into the military. So they're having successful careers in the military. And we believe Again, our program and and that exposure, that initial exposure to college even prepared them for what they're doing now um, in serving the country. So we're really excited about the results that we're seeing. And and of course, we want to capture that even more effectively as we move forward. I think that's something that a lot of organizations need to do more of is to look at some way to measure quantitatively what the outcomes have been for their program. So I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you're working on that. Right. I think so. what happens is we get so busy just doing the work, sure. right, that we put the evaluation, the research pieces on the on the side, but that it is so important. And, um, and we want to make sure that we capture that because we want to be able to continue to do this work. And eventually we love to expand the program. And so to be able to do that and really to talk to funders about why they should support this work, we really need that, that outcome data to be able to, to show the program's effectiveness. Well, let me ask about this year, though. We had COVID-19 this year. Did you have to pivot and do all of your programming virtually? We actually did not have a program for the first time in 12 plus years. We did not have a program at all. And it was so just heartbreaking because the state was kind of in this state of crisis and emergency. They decided that they wanted to just kind of pause and really focus their energy and effort on keeping families safe, keeping kids safe in the homes that they were having to to do investigations. And the university also at the same time, of course, shut down everything. So we're not able to be on campus. And so, you know, we proposed doing a virtual kind of a program, but at the time, I think we all just kind of agreed that the youth were overwhelmed already with having to pivot with you know those that were still in high school. They were already inundated with online, you know, with just their regular K through 12 work. And we weren't sure how much they would be ready to, to engage separately with our program. So we're hopeful now with a vaccine coming out and now we know what to do to be safe on our campuses. I'm really hopeful that this summer we'll be able to get the youth back on campus. And of course, things will be different, but I'm hopeful that we'll be able to to move forward with the program. And if not, we'll certainly be ready to pivot to something online in a better way this upcoming summer. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. Yes, for sure. That we can be getting back to normal by that time. Yes, I'm, I'm hopeful. Well, let me go to the question I mentioned earlier. I've talked in every podcast about what can be done to improve the foster care system from your perspective and the work that you do in particular. Have you any ideas as to what what improvements could be made? What suggestions would you make? I mean, I have so many ideas about what can be done to improve 
I'll start by saying I think, you know, states and even at the federal level, I think we're sometimes really hard on legislators and and hard on these systems. But I I really think that they're trying and in terms of efforts. And I I certainly um, applaud the state of Alabama in its effort to really try to do as much as it can to prepare youth to transition successfully from foster care into adulthood. So I would just encourage specifically for my state right now to continue to provide the funding for programs like INSEP and and other programs that are helping youth to develop independent living skills. Although even the notion of being independent is something that we're talking about, but even programs that help youth to prepare to be adults. I think um, continuing to, to use resources to fund those programs and to provide youth with those supports, I think is really important. I'd like to see them do more with an area that we really don't talk about a lot when it comes to youth that are transitioning, and that's around transportation. I'm looking at doing some preliminary research now and even have had conversations with youth who've been through our program, and many of them struggle. If they're living in rural areas, they're trying to go to college, they're trying to go to work, they struggle with transportation. And so that's an area that I'm hopeful that we'll start to look at a little bit more whether that's preparing them to get a driver's license. Once they get those driver's license, how do we help them to afford to buy a car or to purchase a car? Because it's difficult to be independent without transportation. And so that's one of those areas that we haven't talked about a lot. It's not a lot of information in the literature, but I'm seeing as we work with the youth in our program that are moving into college, transportation becomes a big challenge for them. Right. I'm trying to think what could be done. I mean, of course, if money were no object, you could buy a car for every young person, right? Wouldn't that be awesome? (laughs) That would be great. Now, it wouldn't have to be a brand new car, but maybe a a stipend to get a used car. In the ideal world, wouldn't that be fantastic? I think it would be. And again, there are programs, I believe it's, is it Annie Casey that has a savings program that they're trying to get used to? I want to say it's either Annie Casey or Casey programs, one of the KC organizations has been doing this kind of savings program that they've been working with youth on. And one of the things that the youth could do with that savings program is is save money up for a used car. And sometimes agencies are willing to match. I think Casey's program, they match that savings. And so that's one way. I, I think about many of our youth I mentioned before, because they qualify for Pell Grant and they qualify for our Fostering Hope Scholarship, and some of them get even other types of scholarships they get a pretty substantial refund from college. And so if they're prepared to know how to purchase a car, if they're prepared, first of all, with a driver's license, but if they're prepared to have someone to walk alongside them to know what it means to purchase a car and to get work with a dealership that is going to give them, you know, a, a great deal on a good car. I think if we're intentional about that, I think there's some things that are kind of in place now that we could start to move the dial with that. Of course, there's so much work that needs to be done as it relates to insurance and those kinds of things. But I've seen that's one of those areas that we need to start to have some conversations about. I agree. I would imagine that there would be dealers out there that would want to partner Companies want to be socially conscious and they want to do something for their community. This would be something that a car dealership could do would be to, you know, help find good, reliable, cheap cars for young people in foster care. Exactly. I mean, I think that's one of my dreams, right? For every every young person that goes through our program that enters into college, that we we have this partnership with a dealership that works with us to help that young person to get a car during the summer. You know, when we have opportunities to squeeze in additional training, you know, we've gone to a dealership and they've 
talk to the youth about purchasing a car or they talk to them about servicing a car and and those kinds of conversations. But a dream is to have a partnership with the dealership so that every young person that makes it to college also has transportation to navigate that college environment when they get there. I think it would just be a game changer, even for, for the youth that are enrolled in college. That's a great idea. And what about rental cars, right? Somebody's just in a temporary situation where they need a car just to get them by for a little while. Partner with rental car companies and maybe they would want to help support young people in foster care as well somehow. Yeah, that's a great idea. We have a transportation institute at the University of Alabama and I've been partnering with them. And right now we're doing a research study where we're looking at how could we use companies or work with companies like Uber or Lyft or some of these other kinds of companies to work with youth that are transitioned from foster care who are on college campuses. Could we partner with those companies to get a discount for youth that have lived foster care experience so that they have that they have access to some type of transportation until we can get to the point where we can help them to purchase a car and do that, even having access to that kind of service because so many college communities now have that service. How do we help you to take advantage and access those kinds of services as well? All right, now my brain is just flying around and I'm picturing maybe we could even get Uber drivers to help teach kids how to drive because you need somebody who's going to teach them and take them out and get their hours. And sometimes that's not happening with the foster parents or the group home. That's true. And so part of this grant that I have from the Alabama Transportation Institute is to actually partner with a driving school to get the youth that driving time and to actually have that driving school to take them through that process to apply for their license and to do the driving test. So that's a part of this this grant that I'm working with with the Alabama Transportation Institute. Oh, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. All right. Well, I see that our time is coming to an end here. I I hate it because I just want to keep talking about this. But let me ask you the last question. What is the thing that you love the most about your organization and SEP? Oh, wow. That's a great question. I love the most the connections that I make with the youth. It has just been so rewarding for me to build relationships over these years. They become my family. I have been in the delivery room when former youth have given birth to babies. I have been part of birthday celebrations and and other kinds of celebrations. I think for me, the opportunity to connect with them and to build relationships that last a lifetime, but also to just be in their corner, to have the opportunity to be a support person, a lifelong connection for the youth that come through my program is by far the most rewarding thing for me. And to, again, go to the college graduate, high school graduations and then to the college graduations and, you know, now starting to go to master's graduations is it's just rewarding. And I'm just so grateful to have the opportunity to do this work with, you know, this amazing population. That's fantastic. So you don't just sit at a desk. You're actually directly involved with the young people during the summer program. I am. I actually have a a coordinator um, that does a lot of the day-to-day kind of work, but I I really like to get to know the youth. So, of course, I show up in the classrooms, but on the weekends, I'm at the dorms. On Sundays, I'm I'm interacting with them. On Saturdays, when I'm able to, you know, they have kind of fun day on Saturdays where they go to water parks around the state. And so as many times as I can in the summer, I go with them on those trips to water parks. On Fridays, they're off campus going to the movies and doing those kinds of things. I try to participate in those kinds of activities with them so that I get to know them and I'm able to spend time around them. I definitely like to get engaged. I'm not just doing the doing the data behind the scenes. I really like to get in and get to know the young people in the program. 
I love that. I love the motivation and the energy and the dedication that you show by getting involved as opposed to just being, you know, your name on a piece of paper that they get. <laughs> I like that they get a chance to get to know you and vice versa. Again, that's, I think for me, that's the highlight of the experience. I learn so much and I grow so much as I, as I work with the population. We learn as much as the young people learn when we're working with them. That's for sure. That is true. That is true. (laughs) I really appreciate, Sabrina, that you have joined us today for this podcast. I've totally enjoyed the conversation with you, and I look forward to hearing more about your program. Hopefully, fingers crossed, you will be open this summer, and I'm going to keep track on your website to see if that happens. (laughs) Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you, Lynn. Well, thank you so much. And I wish you all the best. And for those who have listened to the end, thank you for listening. We put out a podcast every couple of weeks or so. So keep checking back on our website, agingoutinstitute.org. But we're also out there on most of the podcast distribution sites like Podbean or iHeartRadio or Apple. This podcast is also there as well. So you can look for it on any of those that you listen to on a normal basis. So thank you all very much, and I look forward to sharing another organization with you next time.